days. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to continue our uh, sermon series through the book of Galatians called the Gospel of Grace, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We'll be in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word uh, with you, please look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the sit seat that you're uh, in front of you. And I would encourage you to take a blue Bible that's sitting there and uh, turn to page 1077, 1077. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. As we turn uh, to God's Word this morning, let us open up uh, in prayer and ask God to do what only He can do. Uh, Lord, as we come to your Word this morning, Lord, we come, uh, Lord willing, fully trusting in the truth of your Gospel. Uh, not just truth that we need to have in our minds, uh, but truth, Lord willing, through your spirit that would resonate deeply into our hearts. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would show us exactly uh, the places of unbelief in our life. Lord, that through your word this morning, specifically, you will show us places that we are being uh, driven by the desires of the flesh and not being led uh, by the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, as you show those things to us, uh, Lord, that we will confess and we will repent, and through uh, your Holy Spirit in us and through us, Lord, uh, that we would have a renewed submission and trust uh, to the gospel of your amazing grace. Uh, Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in advance uh, during our time together in the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we uh, begin our time in verses 19 through 21 this morning, uh, we have to be reminded that in Galatians 5, uh, really the, the main thrust of the entire book, really, uh, of Galatians is that of freedom. That Christ desires for us to live in the freedom that only he can provide. And the freedom that he is addressing is not uh, so much a physical freedom, it is a spiritual freedom. That, that we are right, we are justified with God, and we remain right with God, not because of our works, not because of our performance, but because of the grace of the gospel that has uh, transformed us, right? That we are saved uh, by grace through faith. And that is key. And, and it's that uh, gospel truth that is so central, not only in the, the early church life, again, uh, the book of Galatians was more than likely the first uh, book that Paul penned through the Holy Spirit somewhere around AD 48, uh, but it is that same truth that's important for us today. In order uh, for us to continue to grow in who we are in Christ, we have to be anchored continually in what Christ has already done and what he continues to do, right? And so we are right with God because of what he has done. Now that begs a question. If it's true that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, not because of physical birth, but because of spiritual birth, that we are set free in Christ, then why is it that sometimes I don't experience that freedom? Right? Maybe you're here today or joining with us online and, and you're a follower of Christ, but you don't seem too free today. Why is that? Well, Paul gives uh, two reasons primarily. Uh, one is that we uh, tend to lean back towards legalism, meaning that there's something I have to do in order to uh, maintain, earn, or deserve uh, that standing that I have uh, with the Lord because of the work of Christ. Or, or, and Paul also addresses the sin of license, meaning that, that I can continue to live however I want at disregard to the gospel's power and work in my life. And, and it's those two things that bring about uh, not freedom, but, uh, but bondage, the very bondage that Christ has set us free from. And, and we saw this last week, specifically in verses 16 through 18, speaking about uh, the, the, the license part, uh, he says, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we have this amazing command with the promise. The command is, walk by the Spirit, and then the gospel promise behind that is when we submit to the Lord daily, right? When, we're, when our dependency, specifically our sp spiritual dependency is on the Lord, every moment of every day, the gospel promise is this, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here's what we understand. Here's what we need to know as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, the gospel has uh, removed from us the power and penalty of sin already, right? 
But the very presence of sin has not been completely removed yet, right? That will not happen until we see Jesus face to face. Either we die and we go to heaven, or he comes and gets us, right? And so it's that, that remnant of sin, that, that presence of sin that still resides in your heart and my heart, right? That we realize that there is a tremendous civil war that happens in your heart and your mind and my heart and my mind every day, right? And so we need to understand that there is this spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle is not only normal for the Christian life, but it is very much real. Right? That's why Paul says in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. In other words, they're not on the same team. Right? They have different agendas. But here's what we need to understand according to the Word of God. This battle, this civil war, is not up for debate on who's victorious. Right? We don't live life as a Christian thinking, Okay, uh, is the Spirit of God going to win today? Listen, if you submit to the Spirit's working in your life, he will win 100% of the time, right? It's not up for debate. Again, that's why spiritual dependency on the Lord is so, so critical. So this battle has already been won. So we're not fighting for victory. We're living life based on the victory that we already have in Christ, right? And it's based on that that we need to remember in the midst of this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare, this spiritual dependency on the Lord, we need to remember our spiritual position. That's why he closes in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Listen, we have been set free by the condemnation of the law, the guilt of the law, the penalty of the law. Why? Because if you sin in one area, one time, thought, word, deed, action, speech, you're guilty of all of it. But in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from that. Why? Because Jesus bore the condemnation that you and I deserve. And that spiritual position that you have in Christ will never, ever change. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. You are empowered by the Spirit of God. And it's based on that spiritual position that you have in Christ that you begin to live out the very life that God desires for you. Now the question is, and the connection is, there is a connection between living free in Christ and obedience in Christ. Do you see that? That when we're living lives as followers of Christ in rebellion or disobedience towards the Lord, gospel freedom is not there. We will not experience that. But when we are living dependent on the Lord, when we are living in obedience to the Lord, surrendering to him daily in every area, that there is gospel freedom. And so there is a connection between holiness and experiencing the freedom that Christ has in us, for us. That, that begs a question. What are some warning lights that pop up in your life and in my life uh, when we're not living uh, by the Spirit of God, but we're living within the desires of the flesh? Think about warning lights for just a moment. Many of us have cars today, right? What happens with your car when something isn't right? There's a misfire somewhere. You get a warning light, right? Now, there's a couple things that we do with that warning light, can do with that warning light. We can, we can ignore it, right? We, we can keep on driving like it doesn't exist, right? And if it bothers us enough, uh, we put some tape over it so it's just kind of like uh, no biggie, right? Or we can address it, right? And, and that's the reality when we think about the spiritual life as well. In the spiritual life, there are warning lights that show up that God, through his spirit and through his word, uh, puts on our, the dashboard of our life and says, warning light, you're not being led by the spirit. You are being driven by the desires of the flesh. The question is, what are we going to do about it, right? And, and for many, as followers of Christ... Either you have simply ignored it or you're trying to cover over, cover over it. And because of that, you're not living in the freedom that Christ has for you. And, and I think what the gospel desires for us today is that we will be honest with it. So that the healing that we need will continue to happen through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the question is, what are some of those warning lights? And that's what our passage does so well for us this morning. Uh, verses 19 through 21, the scripture says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're going to call a quick timeout real quick. We're going to go through these as quickly as we can. But here's what I don't want you to do. Remember, we started the preparation a couple weeks ago because we, we know this day is coming. Don't think about everybody else in your life that has these issues, right? These are your warning lights, right? So let the Lord expose those to you and let the Lord deal with those in you, right? So surrender now already to what God is going to tell you. Now we can take what we learn and we can walk with people to show them the path of freedom, right? Especially our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who need the Lord. And so again, our first objective today isn't to push this off to somebody else. It's God, let me be real with you today, right? So as we unpack these things, uh, I think it'll be important for us to say, yes, Lord, it is true what you've said. Yes, Lord, you've exposed the places in my life. Yes, Lord, the light has been shown and it's probably been there for quite a while. Lord, it's time for us to address it, right? And, and what's interesting about this particular list in verses 19 through 21, this isn't the only time that we see in the New Testament specifically a, a list of sins of the flesh, right? Uh, we see this in uh, Romans 1, 2 Timothy 3, Mark 7, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. And what we find is, uh, none of these lists are exactly the same, right? And so there are different parts of it. And, and not all of these, these lists don't expose everything that uh, the, the sinful desires of the flesh can uh, show. But ultimately, these lists do show that the, the sins of the flesh are always heart issues, right? That's important. And we're going to keep unpacking that in the next couple weeks. Uh, but for this morning, uh, let's look at uh, beginning in verse 19, where it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they, they can be observed, right? They can be seen. In other words, what's in your heart eventually is going to come out, right? You can't stop it, right? So those places, those remnants of sin in your life, when they're not being uh, addressed by the gospel daily and throughout the day, they will eventually do what? They will eventually expose themselves, right? They'll be known. They'll be observed. And so uh, this, this desire of the flesh, this, uh, these things that can be observed, this is the normal way of life for everybody apart from Christ, right? That, that, they have no choice. But for you and I, we do have a choice. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, but when we're not being led by the Spirit, but being uh, driven by the flesh, these things will be evident in our life. And so, uh, for the sake of teaching purposes, we're going to break these into four categories. Uh, that's not Paul's intention, but it does help us understand uh, these, these desires of the flesh and how they are shown uh, in our lives today. Uh, the first category is sexual sin. Sexual sin. And what's interesting is every place that you see uh, these lists of sins, uh, it always starts with uh, sexual sin. And we see that in, verses, uh, in verse 19, uh, where the scripture talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. So let's unpack uh, these three words quickly, uh, and then we'll keep moving through. But let's think about sexual immorality for just a moment. The Greek word here is porneia. Uh, it's where we get our English word pornography from. Uh, the original meaning of this particular word described the buying and selling of sexual behaviors, right? Uh, but this word is a general word that talks about any uh, sexual deviation based on God's plan for sexuality and for sex, right? And so when we think about God's design for sex and sexuality, uh, are we to, as Christians, poll the people in the world and or the people around us and say, okay, what do you think about sex? What do you think about sexuality? No, we go straight to the word of God. And here's what we find about sex and sexuality. It is a beautiful thing, right? It is God's gift to us, right? It's to be enjoyed in the context of a marriage between one woman and one man. That's the covenant of marriage, right? So anything outside of that, if it be adultery, uh, fornication, premarital sex, you know, all those different things, those things go against God's amazing design for sex and sexuality. And so that's what's important. And so anytime you and I buy into these things, we're robbing God of the glory that he is owed and due. Why? Because we're being self-centered when it comes to uh, our sexual impulses, if you will, our desires. 
So he talks about sexual immorality. Now, let's think about impurity. Impurity, uh, this word impurity happens 11 times in the New Testament. The first time it's used, Jesus uses this word to describe uh, the, the stench that comes from a decaying body. The other 10 times always uh, is uh, used to describe the impurity that is dealt with when it comes to sexual uh, sin. And what's interesting about this word, it, also, it refers to uncleanliness. And so where sexual immorality is kind of like that outward action, right? The impurity is kind of the inward disposition. Right? And so uh, people have, and you and I as Christians even, we have these uh, lustful thoughts, right? Well, we have these uh, fantasies, right? We have all these different things that go against uh, God's design for sex and sexuality. And here's what happens when we think about uh, impurity in the life of a believer. We, unfortunately, have those lustful thoughts, those fantasies, those things that are outside the, the covenant of marriage. And in reality, what we're doing is we're using people for our own pleasure, right? Now, that can be uh, with, with something that you see on the computer or whatever, but at the end of the day, you're using someone for your own pleasure, right? So that's that idea of impurity. But then there's sensuality, sensuality. Sensuality communicates the unrestrained, uncontrollable sexual passions that one has for another. The consuming thoughts that deal with sexual pleasure, those fleshly desires that lead people to unashamed lewdness, right? Even the celebration of sexual sin. Is that not true today? These things are being paraded and celebrated before us every single day. But here's what we need to understand. Paul is not addressing people outside of Christ. He's addressing people who are followers of Christ. And so it's, again, we're not putting it off somewhere else. We're asking God to show us ourselves, right? And just like the Greco-Roman world, or culture in which this was originally written, these sins were normal. Not just in the culture, but unfortunately, because many are driven by the desires of the flesh and not being led by the Holy Spirit, these, these things, unfortunately, have become the norm within the body of Christ. So we need to understand that all forms of sexual sin have a complete disregard to God's design for sex, his plan for marriage. It devalues the fact that we are all created in the image of God, both those who are saved and those who are not saved, and it is an expression of self-centeredness that is in our hearts, right? And so Paul says, listen, if, if, you're, if these things are evident in your life, then that is the warning light that you are being driven by the desires of the flesh and not by the Holy Spirit of God. The second category we'll address this morning is sins related to worship. Sins related to worship. And he mentions two. He says idolatry and sorcery. So idolatry is putting anything in the place of God. Uh, that, that, that thing that you love, that thing that you trust, that thing that you uh, give all your resources to, thinking that that's what's going to give you meaning in life, that's what's going to give you satisfaction and approval in life. An idol is anything you seek to give you what only Christ can give you. Right? They're counterfeit gods. They never satisfy. They never give you ultimately what you need. And oftentimes these things are so subtle, right? The idol of comfort, the idol of security, the idol of a great job, the idol of the perfect family, right? The idol of politics. Do you believe that I politics could be a form of idolatry? You better believe it, right? And so all these things express a place of idolatry. Worship of things that aren't God, right? In other words, you will worship the very thing that your heart truly cherishes, right? And so we must come to grips with the idea and the reality that we have a propensity to idolatry. He talks about sorcery. Uh, sorcery really has to do with uh, uh, people's attempts to manipulate circumstances or outcomes based on worldly influences, uh, spirits, uh, evil spirits, uh, superstitions, things like that, uh, instead of trusting in the goodness of God, right? The sovereignty of God, the power of God. Uh, this is where the word witchcraft comes from. 
you know, you think about things that we uh, potentially can experience in our day and time. Uh, people turn to fortune tellers, tarot cards, astrology, horoscopes. I remember as a kid reading horoscopes, right? I mean, it was on uh, right next to the, com- uh, the comics, right? So you'd read, or read the comics and the peanuts and all that stuff, and then you had Dear Abby at the top, and then you had uh, horoscopes on the bottom. And I'm thinking, all right, I didn't even know what I was for a long time. According to that, I'm a Virgo. And I'm like, all right, life's going to be good today, right? Or a fortune cookie or things like that. It, it sounds silly, sounds crazy, but listen, if you're not fully trusting in the Lord, guess what? You're going to lean to these things. The word sorcery is interesting. Again, we talk about uh, pagan worship, talk about witchcraft. Uh, the, the word sorcery is actually where we get our English word pharmacy from, pharmaceutical from. And what would happen is there was a tremendous connection between uh, the false worship of pagan gods with, with uh, uh, drugs and potions and things like that. So think about that in our life today. Uh, the misuse of drugs in order to promote hallucinations, chasing the highs, numbing the lows, are sins related to worship, right? That's exactly what the scripture is teaching us. Paul says, if idolatry or sorcery is in your life, then the dashboard sign is flashing, warning you are being led by the desires of the flesh and not the spirit. If you're relying on idolatry or sorcery to fill the empty void in your life, it will never work. There's only one who can truly do that. There's only one that can truly satisfy, and that is Jesus Christ himself. The third category is relational sins. Relational sins, this is by far the largest uh, category. Uh, We see that in verse 20 and going into verse 21. uh, The scripture talks about empty strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. So let's unpack those uh, quickly. I know this is a lot of information, but again, we want God to expose our heart, right? Uh, So let's think about enmity for just a second. This is the attitude of the heart that has hatred, hostility, and bitterness towards someone else or towards another group of people. This attitude of enmity can be based on race, social class, political views, uh, oftentimes it's caused uh, because of past experiences that you've had. Uh, somebody's harmed you or hurt you in the past, and so uh, this, this, uh, this heart issue of enmity is there, right? Uh, now, let's think about strife. Strife is the, the outward action because of the enmity that is there. This can be expressed through harsh words, slander, gossip, harboring bitterness, bearing grudges, refusing to forgive. Uh, we live in a world of unjust lawsuits. A lot of that comes from this. Uh, verbal, physical, mental, and emotional abuse. All these things are outworking of the enmity that is in our lives. Uh, jealousy. Jealousy has me first mentality, right? I'm at the center of the universe, right? So jealousy is the attitude that ultimately is about discontentment with God, right? You're not happy with what God has given to you or you're not happy with what uh, he has removed from you, right? And so jealousy has both those forms. And so you think you deserve something that somebody else uh, has or you feel like you don't deserve something that you think somebody else should have. Meaning if you, sometimes we're jealous if we don't have a, I used to get jealous because I wasn't, you know, 6'8", uh, 240, and being able to play sports. I'm, I'm 5'10", and I don't jump very high, and I had to, you know, overcome that somehow. And so sometimes you get jealous when somebody else has the body stature that you would want, right? Anybody? I guess nobody has that issue, but... Um. <laughs> And so jealousy leads to resentment a lot of times. Uh, it leads to criticism, fault finding. I mean, think about the ones you're most jealous of. I mean, you are, I mean, you got the binoculars out and you are trying to find every fault, right? And you're going to make it known, right? Uh, in fact, the very thing that you attack people with, with your jealous disposition of the heart, is the very thing that you criticize when people are attacking you for the very same thing, right? So it's interesting. Uh, fits of anger. Uh, someone who has uncontrolled explosive behavior. A short fuse. Uh, very impulsive, right? In fact, uh, it's these fits of anger that you find, uh, that you have these, this short fuse, this out, outburst in anger, and you don't even know the information necessary to make a decision, right? Uh, you just go off impulse. And here's what happens a lot of times in life, is, is as you discover truth and right information, you realize that you were way off base, and oftentimes you're so embarrassed that you don't even apologize, right? In fact, it's the person that is controlled by fits of anger that is quick to blame you for the issue right? Listen, this resonates with me because this, this, this uh, was a massive issue for me, especially in our marriage. By the grace of God, it's getting better. 
but quick to blame. Quick to blame the circumstances. Quick to say, man, I'm Italian. That's the way I grew up. That's the way I am, right? And all those things are partly true. Listen, these are sins of the heart, right? Listen, certain things can uh, make those uh, angered moments be elevated, but at the end of the day, it's a sin of the heart, right? So don't blame your outburst of anger because you don't have a Snickers bar, right? Listen, get the Snickers bar, but let the scripture challenge your heart. That's the key. All right, rivalries. Uh, rivalries really has to do with selfish ambition, uh, selfish ambition that leads to conflicts in life. Uh, the original meaning comes from politicians who would say and do whatever they want to get your vote. I mean, that still happens today. But it also uh, went on to talk about work. This is what I find interesting, selfish ambition. If your uh, desire or your, uh, the, the reason why you go to work is solely for a paycheck, this is what this is addressing, selfish ambition. Listen, if that is your drive, you're going to cut corners. You're not going to do the part that you're supposed to do. You're not going to have a desire to honor the Lord, see your workplace as an opportunity to share and to live out uh, the gospel. So it's not just about uh, money, right? Again, this has to do with the selfish ambitions of, of what's in it for me at the expense of others, right? Uh, dissensions. Uh, this involves stirring up trouble, oftentimes because you're undermining the authority that's been placed in your life. Uh, so there's this constant fighting back and forth, and everything turns into an argument. You ever been around people like that? You, have you been that person? Uh, no matter what it is, you will automatically want to go against the per what the person says, right? Uh, that's kind of where that comes up. And listen, these aren't just teenage problems, right? Uh, these are adult issues, because I know many parents are like, yeah, I'm living with that today. Well, they're probably living with that too. Um, uh, divisions, divisions. Divisions is one of the results of dissensions, where you try to separate people over disagreements. And, and what's interesting about the word for divisions here is that it's actually the word, uh, the root word that we get the word heresy from. And so it's, it's that you're causing division and disagreements among people that is contrary to the teaching and uh, the beliefs and life practice of Scripture. And we saw this already in Galatians 2. Remember, it was uh, Peter and Barnabas that removed themselves from the table, that table fellowship, uh, when the Jewish people came in because they were eating unclean food. And so this, these, these uh, divisions come about not because of gospel issues. They come about because of fleshly issues. Uh, envy. This is like jealousy 2.0, right? So not only do you, uh, are you jealous because someone else has a blessing that you think you should have, but you actually wish ill will towards them, right? You, it's kind of like uh, if you play sports and somebody gets injured and that allows you to be in their position. You're like, yeah, I'm glad they broke their leg today, right? Listen, we may not verbalize that, but I guarantee you, some of us rejoice in the flesh at the misfortune of people in our lives, right? And again, that's a heart issue. So envy. What are some of the dashboard warning lights of relational sin? How do you respond at the success of others, even when you're the one that's passed over? How do you respond when someone doesn't respond towards you the way that you think they should respond? So all these things, dashboard lights. Now the fourth category is sins of indulgence. Sins of indulgence. Uncontrolled appetites. And Paul mentions too, drunkenness and orgies. Drunkenness is the abuse or addiction to any substance or influence that alters your behavior, your thought pattern, uh, your emotional stability, your spiritual identity. Yes, it's found in alcohol, but listen, it's a lot more than that, right? Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 5. It leads to debauchery, a, a wasteful life, a wasted life. Uh, then he talks about orgies. Now, we have a uh, misconception of what it means. Uh, it, it does refer to wild parties, uh, and sometimes those wild parties would lead to uh, sexual activity that was immoral. Uh, However, it's more than that. So think about temple worship for just a minute. Uh, not only uh, was there uh, sexual immorality happening, but there was an overindulgence of eating, like feasts. So think about uh, place, things like uh, holidays that we even celebrate. I mean, 
we can have excess of anything. We can overeat. We can do all those things. And I'm convinced that the free chips and salsa isn't always a good thing, right? I mean, you can unload on chips and salsa and then still eat fajitas or whatever you order, right? And so these uncontrollable appetites that we have, uh, those things are enslaving, right? Listen, it, it's easy to point out all these other things, but let, let God be real to you today. What is it that you are being enslaved to? At some point, you might be thinking today, man, I'm doing pretty good. And I'm not struggling with any of these things. Well, Paul's got a word for you too. He says this little phrase and things like these. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not a complete list. This is just to show us uh, places that we have desires of the flesh. Lying, laziness, a lack of stewardship, greed, pride. Those are just to name a few, right? The warning lights that we have when we're being led, not by the spirit, but the desires of the flesh. So what's our application this morning? Uh, three places of application. Uh, one, we need to hear the warning. We need to hear the warning. And that's where Paul goes next. Uh, he says in verse 21 at the end there, he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This in inheriting the kingdom of God is talking about eternal life, meaning uh, that you're not saved, right? Now, is it possible that Paul is writing this because he's mad at somebody that did something wrong to him? Is it possible that he had... a food poisoning from the night before and so because of that he he writes something that is so strong that that i i warn you that if you do these things you will not inherit the kingdom of god listen paul had already warned them before at some point probably the first time he met them so now he's warning them again and so what he's explaining to us is that what when your life is characterized by self-centered self-focused self-absorbed self-empowered uh, lifestyle you will not inherit the kingdom of god in fact, he gets more forceful in Ephesians 5. He says, For you may be sure of this. This is confidence here. That everyone who is sexual, immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. So do not be deceived with empty words, for because these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now let's ask a few questions, because that should have some radar moments in our life, some red flags. Is Paul saying that a genuine, committed follower of Christ cannot commit some of these sins or all of these sins? Is that what Paul is saying? No, that's not what Paul is saying at all. In fact, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ have the capacity to not only commit those sins, but even more than that. The key word is do. Do. That's talking about a habitual practice, a habitual lifestyle, a way of life that, that this is your bent. Your bent is to fulfill the desires of the flesh without the conflict of the spirit in there, right? So it's that numbness to just live within the things of the world. And you convince this is the deception. Yeah, I walk an aisle, I said a prayer, I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven. But your life looks no different. That's the warning that he is giving to us. So yes, we can, as followers of Christ, commit these sins, but we will not persist, persist in these sins. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit of God living in us. Remember, we have victory in Christ. So repentance is key. Repentance is we're turning away from uh, the things that are dishonoring the Lord. We're turning back to our need for Jesus. I'll say it like this. The grace that cannot change my life can't save my life, right? If your life is not changed and being changed by the grace of the gospel, that might be an indicator that you truly aren't a follower of Christ. And so there's a place of confession and repentance and first time trust in the gospel. Why? Because the gospel brings about life change. And I love what Paul does to the church in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, 
the, nor the idolater, nor the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, verse 11, this is the gospel that we have. And such were some of you. In other words, this used to be your lifestyle, right? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise be to God for that, right? Life change has happened. Second thing, examine your heart. Examine your heart. So we've been cleansed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified. We've been empowered to live rightly. Why is that important? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So in other words, your sin ultimately isn't against the person next to you. Your sin is ultimately against God. And King David knew this very well. He understood why? Because David had committed the sin of adultery, deceit, murder. He carried that sin for a year until, by God's gracious intervention, he put uh, Nathan in his life. And this is what Paul pens, or what David pens after that in Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Through the Spirit's work in David's life and David's submission to the Spirit's work, we see that, that David came to a place that he was finally willing to be honest with God. And I believe that's what God's calling many of us today. For the first time, be honest with the Lord. He says to search me, explore me, reveal in me what's in my heart. Again, our evaluation of ourselves isn't always accurate, right? But the gospel's evaluation of ourselves is always accurate. And here's the deal. David knew the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord. But when he was choosing not to be honest with God, he did not experience the power of God, the presence of God, or the peace of God. He was living in slavery. And the beauty is, God knows everything, right? Now, that's scary on one hand, but very comforting on the other hand. He knows everything, but he loves you anyway, right? Praise be to God for that. David says, know my heart. Why the heart? Because that's really the true you. Again, we have remnants of sin in our life. And so uh, the desires of your flesh may not be the desires that I have in my flesh. But at the end of the day, if we uh, surrender to those things and not to the Spirit, it'll all lead us to the same place, that of slavery. And so he says, examine my heart. Again, reveal to me what you see in me. But then David had a willingness to do whatever it took to restore right, uh, right fellowship with the Lord. The relationship is always secure. The fellowship can wane based on how we're responding to the Lord. He says, try me. Test me. It's like a blacksmith that heats up metal in order to skim the impurities off the surface. And that's what the Word of God does. It brings those impurities up. And so we can find true healing and true cleansing. He says, uh, try me and know my thoughts. Lord, show me why I'm going astray, right? Yes, here's the outward behavior. That is not ultimately what needs to be dressed. It's why am I doing that, right? Why am I doing that? Why am I jealous? Why am I bitter? Why am I practicing sexual immorality? Why, why am I an idolater? Why, why am I these things? So show me why. What's at the, the place in my heart? He talks about those places that are grievous, those places that cause pain, evil, idolatry. David says, man, show me. And this is an act of God's grace. God is saying, he's inviting us into our, the darkness of our heart and mind, right? Why? Because he wants to change it. David also shows a willingness to submit completely to the way of God. He talks about the way of everlasting, or the way everlasting, the way of holiness, the way of righteousness, the way that we do experience joy, peace, the power of God, the presence of God, the pleasure of God, right? So all these things are there. Lastly, remember uh, your hope. Remember your hope. As I was studying uh, this week, I try not to cry. I don't do that often, but I try not to, no. Uh, I was thinking about a dear friend of mine, a brother in Christ. He's with the Lord now. Um, 
And God did some amazing things in his life. He died when he was 62. He came to faith either early 60s or late 50s, so he wasn't a believer for long. But man, God did radical things in his life. And I started thinking about him. And I thought about his funeral, that I had the privilege of sharing God's word. And I thought about the passage that was used, John chapter 5, which we're going to look at in just a second. And so I went back to that funeral service. And by God's amazing grace, that funeral happened on September 25th, 2016, exactly six years ago today, right in this very place. And so I want to share God's word in John 5 to remind us to remember the hope that we have in him. In fact, every time I watch a Philadelphia Eagles football game, I think about him because that's his team. And I don't mind watching them right now because they're actually playing pretty good. So, But in John 5, let's begin. We'll unpack this and just remember the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, verses 1 through 5, first, the scripture says, And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate of pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been there, or been an invalid, for 38 years. And so we have this story of Bethesda. There is a pool there in Bethesda, and the, the word Bethesda uh, means pity or mercy. And guess what? That day... That's exactly what that man needed. He needed pity. He needed mercy. Why? Because he had been there for 38 years. Now, you may have noticed uh, in, in some translations, there is no verse 4. It skips over that. Let me address that real quick. Uh, it doesn't alter the truth of God or the story that's being displayed here at all. Uh, the reason why verse 4 isn't in uh, many of the translations now is because in the oldest manuscripts that we have of uh, the gospel, uh, that verse is not in there. Um, but verse 4 talks about how uh, when the waters were stirred, uh, that the, the first person to get into the water would be the one uh, that would be healed. Uh, and, and it gets kind of talked about in the next couple verses here. Uh, but that doesn't change uh, the meaning of the story. In fact, I'll say this. Uh, the stirring of the waters isn't what heals us anyway, right? It's, it's God. God does it, right? And so you have the story uh, of a disgusting place, right? Uh, places where people are broken. People that have all kind of ailments and issues, uh, things that can be seen physically. But we're going to use that story to remind us that it's not ultimately the physical healing that God desires for us. It's the spiritual healing that God desires for us. And so the other thing is we all have it, right? We all have baggage in life, spiritual baggage in life, and, and God wants to heal that. Uh, and, and here's what I love about this passage. Uh, we find in verse 6 that, that Jesus knows this guy's situation. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. Listen, God knows your situation. He knows your desires of the flesh. He knows why they're even there. It goes on to say in verse 6 and 7 that Jesus shows tremendous compassion. He said to him, do you want to be healed? What an amazing question. Do you want to be healed? And the sick person answered, or the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the, the water when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. So in God's amazing compassion through Christ, he says, do you want to be healed? And, and you would think, after 38 years of this particular ailment, the answer would be what? Yes. But that's not what we get. We get, really, an excuse why I'm unable to be healed. And many of us live with that as well. That there are times in your life, many times, where you feel this 
Spirit's presence through his word and just the way that he communicates to us that, that, he, that he's asking that question. Do, do you want to be healed? From your sexual sin, from your sins related to worship, from relational sin, from sins of indulgence, do you want to be healed? And instead of saying yes, we come up with many reasons why. But what does Jesus do? Jesus does the impossible. He shows his power and his goodness. Verse 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And I love verse 9. Look at that phrase. And at once, the man was healed. And he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And we'll, we'll talk about that last phrase there, that the day was the Sabbath. Listen, at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't just desire uh, your salvation. He desires your freedom. He doesn't just desire your health to be uh, made right. He desires ultimately your holiness. The scripture goes on to say, and this is where we get into the Sabbath part, verse 10 through 13. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in that place, right? So we're going to, there's a pause there. But then what happens in verse 14 is amazing. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, so this one who had been paralyzed for 38 years, now who is walking in freedom, says this, see you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The reason, again, why the healing came into this person's life was not ultimately about the physical healing. It was about holiness. So when we think about that for just a moment, Jesus doesn't want to heal you from your addiction so that you will be sober. He wants to heal you from your addiction so that you will run free. Jesus doesn't want to just heal you from envy and jealousy so you can have a better relationship with somebody. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want to just heal you from the bondage uh, towards sexual sin so that you can be a better spouse. He wants you to be free. So when I think about my brother in Christ who is now with the Lord, and what God had done in his life. Right here at this altar. Praying many a times. Because of the temptations of his old lifestyle. And I remember we would meet on Friday mornings. For Bible study. And for months. He would say virtually this. I'm gay. Is what he would say. And I would say no you're not. You're a child of God who has homosexual desires. And for months, we would say the same thing over and over and over again. He had an identity issue that was only going to be solved in Christ. And finally, after months of just repetitiveness, he almost said that same phrase again, but he caught himself. And he said, no. I'm a child of God who happens to have homosexual temptation. And I'd like to say that he never committed that sin again. No, but he was honest. He would come and we would talk and he would tell me about those desires of the flesh and every once in a while he would share that he succumbed to those desires of the flesh and, and we continued day after day, week after week. Every time that it was brought up, we went back to the restoration that we have in the gospel. Why? Because this person heard the warning of God. But listen, he didn't live in fear. He lived knowing that he was victorious in Christ. He submitted to the Lord, not perfectly, but daily. He, he had the Lord examine his life and he remembered that he hope, had remembered the hope that he had in Christ. Listen, this this man was an awesome follower of Christ. Again, not perfect, but very genuine, very authentic. And guess what? He's with his Lord. No longer dealing with the presence of that sin in his life. And so I share all that to you because the Scripture tells us again, going back to the Sabbath, 
Why is that a big deal? Listen, that was a no-no in Jewish custom. You rest on the Sabbath. Listen, when it comes to healing, Jesus is never resting, right? He is always pursuing you, and he's willing to risk everything so that you will be healed. In fact, the scripture reminds us that he laid down his life so that you would be healed. I love how it closes in John 5, verses 15 through 17. The scripture says, A man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the what? The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus says, Me and the Father are one. And the same God who spoke creation into existence is the same God today who is providing the necessary means of healing. So think about those dashboard warning lights. Sexual sin, sins relating to worship, relational sin, sins of indulgence. Hear the warning, examine your heart, remember your hope. We're going to sing, I surrender all. Listen, whatever that first step is for you, that next step for you, will you trust that Jesus is good? Will you trust that he can and will heal? Will you trust that though this temptation may have conflict in your life every day that you live, you will live in victory in Christ? And when that temptation leads to sin because of your uh, unbelief in the power of the gospel, that you will confess and repent and be reminded of the power of Christ in you. Listen, again, we all have the desires of the flesh. The question is, will we be honest about it? And will we remember our hope that we have in him? As we stand and